You're listening to the Green Majority Podcast. Thank you so much for downloading it. It's going to be a great show. So if you uh, enjoy what we do, you can, uh, uh, of course, uh, send us an email, talk to us online, send us a shout out. Uh, what we'd really appreciate, if you can, is to become a Green Majority member uh, and actually uh, uh, become a member with us. The uh, donation recommendation is about uh, $5 on average, but you can put in your own amount. Uh, that's what we would uh, love. And uh, this is going to allow us to bring more specific programming options. We are always working on things in the background, but uh, the more time we have for this project, the faster we're able to implement that. So we would really appreciate you consider supporting us. You can, of course, uh, become a member at greenmajority.ca or go to Patreon, which is p-a-t-r-e-o-n.com slash greenmajority. Welcome. You're listening to the Green Majority here on CIUT 89.5 AM. Uh, uh, FM. AM. What am I? AM. What? <laughs> yeah, I've only been doing the show 10 years. Anyway, <laughs> uh, I'm your host, Sarah Kester, and you're listening to the Green Majority here on CIUT 89.5 FM. Uh, you could be listening as well on one of our wonderful and very appreciated radio partners uh, or uh, on the podcast, which, uh, except for recently, is normally accompanied by a bonus show. Uh, we have... Uh, uh, we've uh, had a, a couple of hiccups with that recently. I know I've, I've teased on the show some bonus shows that never happened. Uh, I just uh, I just want to let people know that's actually unfortunate because I've been having some health concerns and not because we're lazy. Uh, so there's that. We don't need to get into it too much, but our apologies. We will we will get back to that as soon as it is uh, possible for us. Uh, and by we, I usually mean myself and Stefan Hostetter, but Stefan Hostetter is not here. And you may have heard a, a, a giggle a moment ago that sounded more, like more than one person. Uh, I was stuck. Uh, Jeff, uh, who's my first guest today, uh, um, who's been on the show many Hello. times. Jeff, I was stuck between making a joke about how uh, it takes three people to fill Stefan's shoes or if I should go in the direction of <laughs> none of you want to be in the studio when Stefan's here and so you're, you've only, you're only here because he's gone. A bit of column A. Yeah. No, I'm just yeah. kidding. I'm kidding. So we all love Stefan here. Going from left to right, I have Jeff Donner who's uh, the uh, semi-official. I used to say unofficial and now we're getting towards semi-official. One day you will be the official Ooh, Green I... Majority Arts and Culture Correspondent. Yes. Uh, Deirdre Limonada, is that... Pretty you did good. It. Holy, <laughs> first time ever saying Deirdre's name properly, uh, and I, you didn't even prompt me this time. No, uh, you're a former guest, uh, <laughs> biology expert, science nerd, fellow science nerd. Is that good enough? Oh yeah. All right. Uh, you have some other cool stuff you've been doing. Maybe we can get into that later. Uh, but uh, and also for now, a frequent guest of the show and actually quite recent uh, as well has joined me, Rob Shirky from Our Horizon. Thank you very much for coming back. Great to be back and uh, filling in. So um, what's going? To, basically, what's going to happen now is uh, the way that I like to run the show. Essentially, is when it's just Stefan and I. I like having as many guests as possible. I like having a, a, a wide viewpoint. I like really like chewing on. A, on a topic when it's just Stefan and I we try and do as many news stories as possible so that we don't sort of just talk forever just the two of us but when we have more guests I like to do fewer topics so that we can really sort of analyze something and, and hear a bunch of different perspectives on it so what we're actually going to start with is we've essentially just picked three topics we have three sections we've picked three topics uh, to talk about and Jeff is going to lead me through the first one here while I finish getting myself organized uh, for the rest of it uh, so Jeff with that um, mm -hmm. Can you please introduce your topic and, and get can. us started? And thank you for having me back. Um, so I want to start with talking about this uh, series called Six Degrees series. And um, 
and the relevance of this will make itself known as I as I proceed. Um, six degree series, which was started, I think the first one was last year. Um, it is a uh, it connects thinkers and doers. This is from their from the website, and it, uh, by the way, it's from the Institute for Canadian Citizenship. Uh, is who presents this series. Um, Six Degrees connects thinkers and doers to drive the global conversation on inclusion and citizenship. Uh, so in September, they're going to be engaging thousands of participants at 12 events over three days uh, here in Toronto. And one of the cool things about this one in particular is that uh, renowned artist and disruptor Ai Weiwei will be in town. Um, I believe September 27th, to receive the Adrian Clarkson Prize for Global Citizenship. Um, now, the reason that he is getting this award, among other things, he has been a, uh, a, uh, a thorn in the side of the Chinese government for many years. He's been under house arrest uh, because of his ongoing criticism of the policies of that government. Uh, and he's done a lot of uh, installations to highlight some of the deficiencies of that that government, namely the earthquake that happened, I believe, 2008. Tens of thousands of people died. One of the main things was that the, one of the only – the buildings that collapsed were schools. So there are a lot of children that lost their lives in that, and the Chinese government did a lot to cover that up. So he made art installations to raise awareness about that. That was one of many that he was renowned for. In the end of October, he is going to be premiering uh, a documentary that he is releasing called Human Flow. Now, Human Flow, uh, it's a, a documentary. It's directed by Ai Weiwei. It's feature length, and it explores the global refugee crisis through footage and interviews in more than 22 countries. Um it is a, in, in his words, it is a, a, Human Flow is a personal journey, an attempt to understand the conditions of humanity in our days. The film is made with deep beliefs in the value of human rights. In this time of uncertainty, we need more tolerance, compassion, and trust for each other since we are all one. Otherwise, humanity will face an even bigger crisis. Now, in this movie, he uh, has 25 different film crews from uh, all over, just a few places they went to, Afghanistan, Greece, Israel, Lebanon, Macedonia, Pakistan, Switzerland, uh, just to name a few. Um, Ai Weiwei artfully captures the massive and shocking breadth of the global migration crisis in this epic film, which portrays the plight of today's 65 million forcibly displaced individuals, the highest number ever forced out of their homes by war, famine, and climate change, and on the uh, follows them on the long, treacherous uh, journey. Um, and there are obviously many reasons why uh, that affect this migration and why people are, are forced to flee um, their countries, political upheaval, war. Um, and there are a lot of dots to connect to why these things are happening. Um, one in particular, and in sort of in the context of this show, uh, is more uh, maybe we could discuss a little bit about uh, climate issues and how that affects um, and forces and informs this kind of uh, flow. Um, there is a uh, there is a term, and there's other terms that are used, but one in particular is called environmental migrants, and. Uh, these are people who are forced to leave their home region due to sudden or long-term changes to their local environment. 
these changes, which uh, compromise their well-being or secure livelihood. Such changes are held to include increased increased by uh, droughts, desertification, sea level rise, and disruption of seasonal weather patterns. Environmental migrants may choose to flee or migrate to another country, or they may migrate internally within their their own country. Um, and there's other terms that are used as well. Um, ecological refugee, uh, environmental refugee, climate refugee, forced envir- environmental migrant, and so on and so forth. There are, there are many terms that are there. Um, I wanted to kind of open this up to discussion about these causes. I'm looking at Rob as the uh, founder of um, Our Horizon, which does amazing things by getting pushing to legislate to get uh, climate change warning labels on gas pumps. And I'm sure he can chime in, as I'm sure Deirdre um, and all of us can as well. Um, there are a lot of there are a lot of discussions and conversations right now about war being a prime mover for this. Um, I think it would be interesting to to focus on more of what the how this is influenced by climate change. And uh, I'm looking at you, Rob. I know if for starters, anyway, I'm like I say, we can all chime in on this. But I find it's an interesting interesting story to discuss, given the amount of people that are displaced. It is a and staggering it, amount, and especially when you say. Um, I think you used the term environmental migrants. Mm -hmm. Uh, I've also heard the term climate refugees. Um, I'm not sure that people are yet connecting the dots um, that a lot of what we do, say when it comes to combustion of fossil fuels, um, when it comes to our diet, all sorts of different climate drivers, that ultimately leads to a myriad of impacts, one of which is uh, mass movements of people, right? Mm -hmm. And when you get... Um, and it's interesting when you get people of, of different backgrounds, uh, different belief systems and so on, moving from one area to another, uh, there's oftentimes potential for conflict. There's maybe a uh, scarcity of resources that now have to be shared among more people and so on. Mm-hmm. So it's always you can't say, you know, climate change led to this. But it, I think it's fair to say it's a contributing factor in, in a lot of mass migrations. Yep. Uh, it's interesting, too. I, I think what we often see in, in sort of um, liberal Western democracies is we'll pat ourselves on the backs for welcoming um, climate refugees, uh, and, and which, I mean, it's obviously a good thing we should be doing that. But at the same time, we're not really doing much to address the underlying causes of, well, why are these people moving in the first place? And are we in some ways contributing to that? So mm-hmm. it can be a little bit hypocritical. Um, and I actually, it's, it's funny that you bring this up. Uh, a week ago, I gave a bicycle that was just rusting in my garage, mm-hmm. you know, and, and there it's been for a few years, um, to a, a fellow that just came from Syria by way of Turkey. So he's a refugee. Mm-hmm. Um, and he'd only been in Canada for 25 days at that point. And he's adjusting to this new place, and he was so grateful for this bike. And but I'm thinking to myself, my goodness, wouldn't like it? Wouldn't, wouldn't, wouldn't it be amazing if the place where he lived, the place that was home to him, the place that I grew up in, um, was still a wonderful place to be, not a war torn place to mm-hmm. be, not a. And I think there's a, a lot of people that will be in that in that situation. But I think ideally, let's let's do the best that we can to mitigate a lot of these these things by by addressing the, the the underlying causes in the first place like that's i would be much prouder of canada 
if if we yes. were really going to the wall on let's try and address climate change as best as we can. And it really does send you back through so many other uh, layers, right? You start uncovering uh, corporate greed and uh, ruining ruining the planet for through capitalist um, ventures and. The, us in the West supporting this kind of structure as well and how that reverberates through the rest of like there's a lot to, to unpack in that kind of conversation you know what is leading to climate change and what are, how are we as individuals uh, creating that and we're the political will or lack of mm-hmm. to address and to be able to create legislation to address these issues there's so many so many variables right yeah. Um, that that are connected to 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 this, and you're right. It, it's it's hard to make those connections. Like war, well, it's you can it's pretty it's present. It's right mm-hmm. there. You can see well, there's there's a there's they're bombing a country. You can see why people are fleeing. These other uh, climate change and how it affects is maybe a little bit more subtle mm-hmm. as far as or, or not as explicit. I see I see Deirdre and, and Sarah yes. nodding their yeah, heads. Yeah. So I, I want to add more, but go ahead. Uh, it's a really interesting topic, and um, I'm interested in seeing how Ai Weiwei approaches the um, topic in his documentary because uh, I think in the media over the past couple of years, um, we've kind of shifted from at the beginning, um, all the media was talking about was the first climate refugees um, on different remote islands um, around the world. And now, I mean, it's happening everywhere, and the media is choosing what to talk about and what not to talk about. Um, like the recent flooding in Peru is directly a direct result of sea level rise. Um, and the media is not talking about it. Um, they're talking about Louisiana floods. They're talking about uh, more local stuff. Um, so I'm really interested in seeing how Ai Weiwei approaches the subject and um, what, what angle he takes on it. Mm-hmm. Well, that, and this is um, this has been a bit of a running theme recently for me on on the show, but to sort of I, last you know half a dozen shows or so, but to point out you know that and we really have to have a reality check here is with Canadians as far as our self image because if you know if you do a if you do a poll say you did a poll in Canada and a poll in the U S. Uh, I don't know, but I, my opinion is, and I, I, I imagine probably at least two of you would agree with me, maybe, uh, that you probably find a slightly higher rate of people in Canada. Maybe I'm wrong, but a slightly higher rate of people in Canada who would say that it is Canada's role to do good in the world outside of just for ourselves. So we have a responsibility beyond to our own. And and it's my opinion. I don't know. It's my opinion uh, that you would probably find a slightly lower degree of this in, in the United States. But that's meaningless because at the same point, there's an asterisk that goes along with that, which nobody likes to admit, which is that what we mean by that is as long as it doesn't cost us anything, Mm. as long as it doesn't put us out at Mm. all, we're happy to do good in the rest of the world. Mm. And oh, by the way, well, we're not mining here. (laughs) uh, We're just destroying, you know, companies that are based in Canada are just destroying people's lives and all sorts of horrible acts of violence, racism and, and corporate murder is happening in other countries in our name. And the people in those countries, the people in Peru know they're Canadian companies. They're, they're not. They're not talking about uh, Exxon or or Barracle. They're talking about Canadian that Canadian company. They know exactly who these companies, where these companies are from. They know exactly where their corporate offices are. They've mailed them their complaints before, 
And uh, so I just I think we need to really like hurry up and get over ourselves and either mm-hmm. stop the lie, either stop the lie that we're really interested in doing good in the world or you mm-hmm. have to sh- like shut up or shut up or put up. Yeah. Right. Or wh- however that saying is supposed to go. Yep. Uh, but we don't get to say it if we don't really mean it. And my opinion is I think we should mean it. Uh, it doesn't appear that we do too mm-hmm. often. It doesn't appear like we're really actually willing to do the actual work. We're not really actually willing to make the actual sacrifice to make the world a better place. Yep. We just like to pat ourselves on the back that we like to say that we do. And uh I call BS. Well, I'd say through my, uh, as I say, th- I always try to bring a bit of an ar- artistic lens to environmental issues, and uh, because I find I- I'm an artist myself, and I'm founder of the Bureau of Power and Light uh, Art Collective, and we intentionally make art to address issues, to do what we can to make the world a better place. Um, and the interesting thing about this uh, Human Flow movie uh, is that it's produced by pers- uh, Participant Media. Now, mm-hmm. Participant Media, it was started by Jeff Skoll. Now, Jeff mm. Skoll was the president of eBay back in, in the 90s, and he's made a mission to create this production company um, to address social issues and to do social good through, through his movies, uh, Inconvenient Truth, one of his films as well. Um, and, uh, yeah, it was, it's interesting that... Uh, it, it it it's encouraging to see somebody because this guy's like a, he's we, we could safely say he's probably a billionaire. Oh, he's he's in the <laughs> he's probably no, got yeah. a couple Several. bucks, right? He's yeah. got a couple bucks. <laughs> so it's encouraging to see somebody of that you know uh, to have that kind of uh, dough and have that kind of influence that is using it to uh, put a spotlight on these things and raise awareness about about these issues, you know. So, um, and just also as a kind of a side note as well, uh, on this, this topic, um, there's a global migration film festival, uh, that's happens in, I believe, Switzerland. It's coming up in December. Uh, and it's, it's interesting. It, it showcases films that capture the promise and challenges of migration for those who leave their homes in search of a better life and the unique contributions migrants make to their new communities. So climate change is a part of it's, it's not, that's not what the whole film festival is about, but it is a part of that. And, uh, it, it's an interesting thing for folks to check out if they like it. It's on this website that is the, uh, international organization for migration. It's I O M dot I N T. If you want more information on that, and they specifically deal with, policies uh related to migration um the the causes of the migration and also how to deal with them when the countries that people are migrating to so that's another a, a website to check out if you want to explore more on this on this topic so we gotta we gotta wrap up this section yep. uh, unfortunately but i just you know because uh, far be it for me to go 20 minutes without being incredibly sarcastic <laughs> um <laughs> You know, uh, hey, sorry about the, all that toxic pollution our corporations dumped in your country. But don't worry, when you come here as a refugee, you can work as a taxi driver. Should be our new <sighs> slogan. Oh, yeah. Yeah. oh, it stings. It stings. It stings because it's true. All right. Uh, Stephen, <laughs> can you uh, bring some levity, bring some darkness? I don't know. Give, it, give, us a, give the people a minute, a break for me, would you? And we are back here listening to The Green Majority here on CIUT 89.5 FM, full of some vinegar today. My goodness. <laughs> Somebody had their spicy Wheaties. It was me. Um, <laughs> spicy, spicy Wheaties, if, if you're not a longtime listener, is trademarked by – it's not. 
by, by the Green Majority. Um, so what we're going to do in the middle section here is, uh, is another very, very loose topic um, in this because I would like to sort of just see where it goes. Uh, but something I've been thinking about a lot and, a, and an article came out this week. This happens actually a lot to me where I've got a lot of ideas floating in my head all the time. And then an article will come out and I'll be like, great. Like, you know, it's like, how do I, you know, how do I do the show with so little preparation? Well, it's because a lot of the ideas <laughs> I want to talk about are already there. And then I just see news stories that are like, oh, great. I have an excuse to talk about that thing now. Pull, time to pull out that soapbox. So the one for this week is that there is a, uh, there's been a trend sort of my, my personal analysis and just by, you know, from the news that I've been reading over the, over the years, there's, there's been to me a, sort of a long trend of uh, just a correlation. There's no causation here. Possibly there is, but I don't think so. But a correlation at the bare minimum between types of areas, types of voting areas that tend to vote, you know, uh, Republican in the U.S. and conservative here in Canada – with and rural communities and those two overlaps being associated largely with uh, climate denial or climate doubt, um, doubt of climate change. And one of the impacts of this, aside from, you know, the fact that, that, that the conservative politicians across the world have been very effective at, at mobilizing this doubt and, and monetizing this doubt, is also that these communities are often the very communities that are going to be the worst impacted by the impacts of climate change. And so it's one of those things, and it's something where I wish uh, politicians uh, would... I, I wish left-wing politicians would do a better job of highlighting, hey, when we're talking about climate impacts, we're talking about helping you folks. It's you folks that are going to be hurt the most, right? The people in Toronto are going to be fine. Like, we're going to have a bunch of damage. Where the, 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 you know, the St. Lawrence River is going to overflow. That's going to affect a bunch of very heavily, populi, uh, heavily uh, densely populated urban areas. There's going to be damage, no doubt. Uh, but the people that are going to be ravaged are the folks in, in middle Canada, the folks that are going to be ravaged. And we've got some maps now. Well, you'll be able to read the article that it's going to, that's going to be linked to that shows you an actual map of climate impacts. Um, the, the, the dark red on the map is all conservative states, all of them. And, and this follows with the theme, and I, and I don't want to get too far off track here, but I just for the sake of creating a trend, I want to make one other observation. Uh, I don't have the data in front of me. If someone really wants to challenge me on it, and I'll roll my eyes and I'll spend 15 minutes digging up the research. But <laughs> there's some other research that also shows uh, – it's, it's not a very easy research to find because it's just an analysis of spending dollars. But, I mean, looking at – I don't have the numbers for Canada, but in the U.S., um, you know, it's all the, it's all the right-wingers who are always all about, oh, the welfare states and the, those, uh, you know, those welfare queens and people taking your – those are your money, which is we all know is code word for they're trying to tell the white people that the black people are taking their money um, and all that race baiting and all that stuff. But do you know who the biggest takers of government money are? Case by case. Every single time, every single year, it's 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 governors, it's it's quote unquote right wing states, it's dark red states that are the takers of this money, and so when they go and their politicians come and whip them up about you know spending cuts and taking away those folks taking your money, all those poor white people think that they're talking about somebody else, but it's them, it's them, they're coming for you, <laughs> and so one of the things like so I think there's a few things we could talk about here, but uh, and I'll, I'd like maybe Rob if I can start with you and maybe we'll just toss it around a little bit and I'll stop talking for a minute, but there there definitely seems to be an opportunity here. And, and I really don't know why no left-wing politicians want to do Well, I think I know. But, but we'll pretend I don't think I know. And it's because there, there's some complicity in the, with these corporations and these deals with the left as well. And that's the big lie. Um, mm. But, you know, pretending we don't think that, or maybe, you know, I'm the only one that thinks that, you know, why haven't 
why isn't this the number one thing that we're all talking about? And more importantly, why isn't this the number one thing that all the politicians who claim to want to be serious about climate change, Trudeau, I'm talking to you and others, Mm. uh, that it's all those folks that are trying to dig their heels in. It's all the voters in Mm. those areas that are trying to dig their heels in and, and stay no, 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 no. To go and tell them, hey, you're going to win. It's going to cost you the most. We're trying to look out for you. And I, and I have a lot of sort of uh, cynicism around why that might be. But I, I, will, I will stop here and pause for Rob for, to give you an opportunity to tell me that I'm wrong. <laughs> I mean, will I disappoint you if, if, I, tell, if I can't tell you that you're wrong? <laughs> um, yeah, it's, it's amazing. So when I think of right-wing, left-wing politics, uh, I'm actually – almost not that disappointed with folks on the right. And the reason I say that, people will get incensed about, you know, Trump's latest remarks or Trump's position on climate, or here he is trying to ensure that we don't use the word climate in all sorts of communications. I'm like, well, I mean, that's kind of in line with my expectations, right? Like, that's, that's not a big surprise. What disappoints me is I want to say an action from from left wing politicians and even centrists, the people that often uh, we hold up to be heroes, but actually aren't delivering. And in doing a lot of um, advocacy coast to coast at multiple levels of government over the last couple of years, I'm just amazed by by how little risk, by how how uh, how much you know they tip on their tiptoes not wanting to offend anyone, not wanting to challenge the status quo. Uh, and that's what I find um, to be the most, the most disheartening and the most sort of a, a bit of a letdown. Um, and to sort of add to what we were saying before, I feel as though uh, we are a bit hypocritical in Canada. We're not really taking a firm stance on climate change. Um, mm-hmm. and, and it's sort of, you know, we've got a great Instagram feed. Canada's got a great Instagram feed, <laughs> oh, but is. if you, if you look beyond, you know that selfie stick, um, it's we're, it's quite sad. Well, we do. Yeah. We, we, do we do have. We, you know, we, I, I, you know, it was one of those things where it's uh, people will be like, oh, well, this is the right wing, you know, the the conservative tactic to go after the prime minister or whatever during the election or whatnot. And it was like half the time I was like, okay, I don't agree with the right wingers, but the thing they said is kind of true. Mm-hmm. And one of those things is that he's the Instagram. Uh, he's the Instagram prime yeah. minister, so it only suits, right? It's it, it maybe mm-hmm. that well that explains everything. Exactly, we're, we have an Instagram's uh, social media feed for the country, and so we we elected the Instagram prime minister. We're on brand, but just yeah. don't you know look behind that, and, and yeah. you might not be happy with what you yeah. see. You don't want to know what's in the chicken McNuggets. Yeah, <laughs> just just be quiet, enjoy them, eat them, don't ask too many <laughs> questions. Um, I don't want to change the topic too much, but this really reminds me of something that just happened out in BC. Um, with the grizzly trophy hunt um, that was just banned in BC, uh, thankfully, uh, by this new interesting uh, joint green NDP government. Um, But Andrew Weaver has been really interesting on that topic because he at first was the one who was pushing um, the grizzly hunt to end while continuing a hunt for meat. Um, which is what they just have confirmed they're going to do. Um, but I just heard him on the radio on CBC, and he was saying that that decision isn't going to please anyone, even though he was the one that has been pushing that decision um, for the past few months. Um, and it pretty much defines um, kind of the left-wing government that we have right now and what you were saying, Rob, and mm-hmm. that they're so on the fence and 
even mm -hmm. Andrew Weaver said himself, it's populist politics and mm -hmm. um, they're trying to please too many people to maintain their status, I think, and it's not really working for anyone. Yeah, and, and, that, and at risk of bringing up sort of that, is, because you may have just sparked in people's minds sort of a side issue, which comes up a lot any time around any hunts, which is the mm. be like, well, we, you know, people will say, well, we shouldn't have this. And then people will yeah. say, well, you know, don't tell First Nations people what to do. And I just want to I want to have a, I want to make sure that I say a position on that issue. Here's my position on that issue. Can, Canadians should come up with rules that make sense with, towards uh, justice and, and fairness and humility. And then we should uh, understand that uh, First Nations are a nation and they can do whatever the hell they want. Want. And you know why? Because they've been doing it for thousands of years and there hasn't been a problem. There's only a problem when we start doing it. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I think we should be putting a stop to all these hunts. I think we end the seal hunt and the whale hunt and this hunt and that hunt and all the hunts. And uh, and then that goes right up until the point when we start telling First Nations people what to do. And then I think we need to shut our mouth. And mm -hmm. uh, that's that's my position on like 50 <laughs> issues shoehorned into, into four or five sentences. <laughs> Hmm. Yeah, I feel I feel like maybe the lack of will to be a bit more a champion on this topic uh, with governments, uh, I think that might have something to do with uh, the people that are in positions of power and influence. That the effects of climate change it's not a, maybe so readily apparent in their lives. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? But I think that's per, where we've dropped the ball. I think that's, that's we have to be pointing that out constantly. Mm -hmm. That's kind of my point. Oh, yeah. oh for sure. And I mean, uh, but that's the thing, right, is having the people at the table to have those discussions that are actually being affected by climate change and listening to them and realizing that it's a reality for them because it might not be a reality for for other people that are in power and, and the will, the political will might not be there because the effects... Like you say, it's not. You were saying earlier in relation to another topic. Well, it's not happening here. It's harder to feel that, or the voices that are saying that it is happening here. And there are there are people in in northern Canada that are telling us right that the yeah. uh, with ice mm -hmm. flow changes and they can see the changes that are happening. Mm -hmm. But it's it's a real thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, if it's not affecting you, right? It's 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 tough. What, what you know, Bernie, like, I think, showed us is that is that there's this there's a real difference between like uh, climate campaigning and political campaigning. Climate campaigning mm -hmm. goes out and says, "Here's the information. I'm gonna I'm gonna have I want to have a conversation. Let's talk about this. Let's suss it out. I'm gonna tell you how this affects you, and I'm gonna tell you how this is to your benefit uh, to do things. Um, but that's only so that can only go so far when you're talking about these tiny groups that are funded by like uh, like the the equivalent of a lemonade stand that they're running with the like forty seven dollars they have for an entire year of activity. There's only so much they can do." But polit politicians don't do that because their goal is not how do I how do I come up with the best idea and mm. then advocate for those ideas? They no 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 no. What are the easiest ideas that are already popular, whether or not they're good ideas? And mm -hmm. how do I capitalize as many votes based on that? And so they don't go into these these mm. areas where they don't think it's worth their time. It's not cost effective to go and talk to people. And they don't talk to people about things they don't think they're going to want to talk to. And that's a really great way mm -hmm. to elect it. But it's not mm – -hmm. you don't get to call yourself a leader. And you certainly yeah. don't get to put yourself out in front of anybody's march uh, when you do that because all you're doing is saying, oh, this is already popular. OK, I'm with those guys. Mm -hmm. Right? And what mm -hmm. Bernie showed us is that you really can do that, that that's not true. You really can you know, be – 
the, you know, Elizabeth May and go into, you know, North Barrie or whatever, or whatever the sort of like, you know, outlier suburban sort of like more conservative area near mm-hmm. you might be and have a real conversation and, and, and answer people's questions and sit through some of the, yeah, quite frankly, quite some of the hostility that's going to be directed mm-hmm. at you. And that's your job. Yeah. That's your job to do. That's your you're a politician. Your job is to is to take some of that heat. That's part of the job description. That's a whole paradigm shift, though, right? With our government, I mean, to really like how what's the subsidies here for the fossil? Like it's like in the billi- it's billions, billions, right? It's, it's like billions, that, yeah. like subsidies for <clears throat> the fossil fuel industry. There's so much interest and in, invested interest there. How do you sway that? How do you? You know, that's a huge mountain to Well, and the risk of it going move. off in another direction, you know, talk about people, you know, all the all that fake right-wing media. And I don't just mean all media. I mean, specifically, there is a whole bunch of right-wing media that's complete fake. And I won't give mm-hmm. them the credit of naming them. Uh, but like about, oh, foreign, well, don't you know that Greenpeace got $20,000 from Qatar? <laughs> what do you call oil money? Mm-hmm. It's not national money. That's foreign money. What happened? I thought you hated that. Yeah. <laughs> Like, come on, it's so it's so easy to knock this stuff down in a way that someone like, sure, people can turn their brains off, but you just keep saying it and you show the evidence and you keep saying it, you keep saying it, you keep saying it, and you actually fight. And maybe you could win. But, mm. you know, politicians, left-wing politicians, people who are actually serious about climate change, unfortunately, too many of them just go, I can't win this fight, and they give up. And they go and they pander to the people that already agree with them, mm. and they keep their jobs. And congratulations, you kept your job, but you, didn't, you don't get to go home and, like, you know, congratulate yourself that you changed the world because you didn't. Yeah, you didn't. You just mobilized some people that already agreed with you enough to get a job. The thing is about climate change is that it has. It's not an issue of facts. It's not an issue of climate change anymore. Climate change isn't. It's not its own entity anymore. It's become this like monster religion Mm -hmm. of denial or acceptance, and it's no longer about evidence. You can't change people's minds with evidence anymore. People who have had their homes destroyed by water and floods and and heat waves um, are leaving, but they're still denying that climate change exists because it's become a religion and the religion is tied to the party. And I think it's Republican and Democrat in the States and that determines for a lot of people whether climate change exists or not. Mm. And who you can mm-hmm. marry, what your friends are. Yeah. Like also, it's a, it's yeah. a, total, it's a total clan thing, right? Totally. Like a total clan thinking. Mm-hmm. Um, so we've got, and you know, and this is where uh, the, you know we're, we're getting towards the end of this section. But the beginning of the next section is going to be all about Exxon New. And I have, uh, I occasionally, I very, very rarely, because I don't like to. Uh, I mean, I think we have a, enough good uh, knowledge on this show and enough access to enough resources that uh, that we can we can do generally we can do our own analysis and i don't i don't make a habit of playing clips from other people's shows uh but every once in a while junk uger from the young turks just drops a freaking hammer <laughs> and i just i just can't say it any better than him so we're going to play a clip from him when it comes back but part of what that section is going to be about and part of what jenks uh has to say is uh is that th- this isn't a mistake they knew all along this isn't this isn't oops we didn't know well you know you know, or they were dragging their feet because, well, you know, no, 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 no. These people robbed you, and they knew they were doing it. And now they're laughing at your face. Like there, there's some really sick, evil people out there. And that doesn't mean I'm not saying right wingers are evil. I'm not see, even saying that all corporations are evil. I'm not saying it. Well, I'm, I think they're amoral. <laughs> That's different. Uh, but you know, but people like Rex Tillerson, he knew, he knew exactly what he was doing, and he's filthy, filthy rich. Well, we're all mm-hmm. stuck with the bill, right? So. 
we you know we can't we have to be careful not to create some sort of like you know you're with us you're against us thing we have to make sure that we have you know open doors to make sure that those folks there's a place for them to go like one of the things when we've covered a bunch of stories about you know people changing their mind it was you know one of the things was that science actually does work and it takes a while but we, there was a peer-reviewed study on on people who had essentially changed their mind about climate change and they were interviewed about why they changed it and it might have taken 47 times but it was eventually just overwhelming the science and the fact that every single one of their criticisms was answered that eventually they ran out of gas right so it might feel like that but i would challenge you a little bit that on deirdre i know it can feel like that and i know people say that i will never change my mind or you you tell them something and they completely dismiss it but little cracks of light get through and what we've shown and what the research has shown is that eventually this can do. Now, of course, there's a, there's, there's a law of diminishing returns here where there are certain people where it's just like we don't need an, all of them and certain people who, who are just going to take 40 years you know, person by person to change their mind. So you don't need to get everybody. But I, but I do believe we can get enough people to get things to happen. And the last comment I want to make quickly before we end this section is that uh, I, I, there's another idea I want to put forward, and, and this one I'm not as sure about. But I want to maybe leave a window open for some hope here. Uh, I've been intently watching, like most people I have, but I read a lot more news, way more news than your average person. Uh, upwards of 40 articles a day, uh, almost exclusively on, on politics. Um, it's the only app on my phone is the news app, and I did that quite intentionally. Mm. And one of the things that I've noticed with what's going on in the U.S. is that a lot of these folks who are like brainwashed Trump supporters – uh, yeah, they're they're scary resistant to to change, but they are getting peeled away. But here's the here's the thing, which uh, here's a trend that I want us to to everybody to watch out for, which is that these folks they finally felt like they finally had their champion, right? So they've put everything, they've put all those eggs in this basket, and what's happened before, like with other right wing politicians. So if you take a Trump voter, right, who voted for Trump, and and one of these diehard red wear hat wearing uh, folks, you'll see in the videos to this day, through all the Russia stuff, through all the incompetence, through all the nonsense, through all the irresponsibility, through the clear mental health issues, through the, the badgering of nuclear war and all this stuff, they're still Trump, 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 Trump. <laughs> but you know what you'll notice is they've never had that before with a previous politician. And the reason for that was because they knew or they felt that they knew they had some instinct that even those guys, even uh, Mitch McConnell and even uh, Paul Ryan and all these guys, they never really completely trusted them, right? They're like, well, you're the closest to me, but I still got my eye on you, right? Which is why they'll turn on those guys in a second. You'll see it. It's like piranhas. It's crazy, <laughs> right? But this time they really bought all in. They really, yes, this is our chance. Finally, finally, we got them. That's, why, that's where this is coming from. The counter-effect of that is that they've gone all in on this guy. Mm. So when he collapses in flames... I don't know. I think there's we an opportunity. We can only hope the Republican Party goes down. With I think, well, that's well, that's, I mean, right. the Republican Party's going down anyway. Yeah. They're going down of their own fault. <laughs> but the thing I want to look for here is that I think that there's a chance for some, like, worldview shattering cognitive dissonance mm. when Trump goes down. That maybe these people, because they put everything into this and it blows up in their faces and it turns out that they were hoodwinked and there's no way to get around it. They were, they just, they completely got fooled. And, and after they're done sort of like twisting their toes on the ground and looking around, when they look up, if we're there with open arms, I don't know. I say give these people a chance. Some of them are hideous, but we need them to change the world. And I don't know. I, I, think, I think after Trump finally goes down, whether that's next week or two years from now, uh, I think there's a chance that some of these people might go, oh, okay, finally. You know what? I, I hate to admit it, but it turns out you might have been right. There's a chance. I want to. I want to end this section on that note of hope. Uh, Stephen, hope. Uh, a little bit, <laughs> yeah. a little bit, a little bit more optimistic uh, than last section. 
I don't know, are we doing this game relatively? I think it's relatively. So we're, we're heading up, folks. Yeah. I like it. Um, and we're going to come back with, uh, with relatively better. somebody. Yeah. <laughs> incremental progress. Three cheers for incremental progress. Uh, <laughs> uh, when we come back, someone else is going to do some fire and brimstone, and then we'll all have a good laugh about it. That was a nice change of pace. Uh, you're listening to The Green Majority here on CIUT, CIUT 89.5 FM. I'm joined by Jeff Donner, Deirdre Liwanada, and Rob Shirky, uh, and myself, Saren Kaster, your host. We will be back in a minute after this music break. Stephen, what are we going to listen to? All right, we are back. You're listening to The Green Majority. Excellent song choice there. Stephen, that is a perfect segue. I will buy you a minute. I'll look for your thumbs up when you're ready on that audio clip. Uh, We're going to start right with that. So what this is is a clip from uh, The Young Turks. If you're not familiar with The Young Turks, they are the largest online news show in the world. Uh, they, uh, they trounce, um, uh, ratings for, uh, the online versions of Fox news, CSNBC, everything like that. The Did reason I'm doing awards. Oh, uh, yes, <laughs> yes, wow. yes. Okay. Uh, so the reason why I'm doing what sounds like a commercial for them is because I want this in context that this is not, I mean, not, which is not to say that sort of small independent media outlets are not worthwhile, but, um, the, 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 you know, these are some folks who have been around a while and they, and they, and they know what they're doing. And, uh, and one of the reasons why I like checking in on, on Jenk is that, you know, I, I, I find that through my own news uh, sort of surveying, I find that I don't really learn a lot of news uh, from the Young Turks as much anymore because I'm, I'm often reading the same articles they're basing their show off before the show goes to air. So I don't usually learn a lot. But uh, Jenk is extremely entertaining to listen to because he's like – He's like uh, – I look up to him in one very specific respect, which is that when he goes on a like blood-curdling, table-pounding rant, man, second to none. And so once in a while, like I'm just like – you know, I'll hear him say something and be like, you know what? I don't think I could have said it any better. So because of that, we're actually just going to play a clip. This is longer than I would prefer. I generally don't like to play such long uh, clips uh, on the show. But I I actually cut this down from a 12-minute clip down to about five and a half minutes. I do, there was really nothing more I could take out of this without ruining the content. So we're going to listen to it. It's a, it's a little a little longer than normal. It's going to be about f- a little over five minutes. Uh, but then we're going to come back and spend the last ten minutes talking about a very I think what it will be initially received as a very controversial subject. I think many of our listeners will agree uh, that it is extremely fair. Uh, I'm going to I'm going to spoil the joke for you. I'm going to give you the punchline right now uh, that oil company uh, executives should be bankrupted to pay for climate change impacts. They lied to us. They stole the money. They took all the profits. They socialized all the losses onto us. And I say to hell with that. Hell no. Let's get that money back. Uh, But here it is, Jenk putting it in his own unique words. New documents out uh, from ExxonMobil Corporation that goes back four decades. Harvard study on it, peer reviewed. uh, And boy, it's got some interesting findings. So let's go to HuffPost that summarizes it. ExxonMobil Corporation apparently deliberately deceived the public about the dangers of climate change for four decades, a new Harvard University study finds. Uh, So they go on to explain the details. For the peer-reviewed study published in the journal uh, Environmental Research Letters Wednesday, two Harvard researchers analyzed 200 documents related to ExxonMobil's climate change communications. The researchers found that America's largest oil producer had repeatedly made, quote, explicit factual misrepresentations about global warming and advertisements aimed at the general public while simultaneously acknowledging its risks behind closed doors. So uh, credit to the ExxonMobil scientists, actually, because 
they study climate change, they report back to their bosses, yes, it exists, yes, it's man-made, yes, it could have devastating consequences. Those executives receive that research and go, thank you very much, we really appreciate it. Now, could you go ahead and deposit that in the garbage while you're on your way out? Now, let's run ads telling the American people how climate change is no big deal, it might not exist, but you just got the research, who cares? It affects my bottom line. Look, besides which climate change, Exxon Mobil doesn't bear the costs. You bear the costs. They get the profits, you get all the costs. The whole world does. So, uh, more details. The discrepancy, researchers said, was staggering. About 80% of Exxon Mobil's research and internal memos acknowledged that climate change was real and caused by humans. However, 80% of the company's newspaper ads regarding climate change Question this fact, the study found. But at the same time, while they had confused us, and and <laughs> there would later be overwhelming evidence, nine of the 10 hottest years on record uh, were in the last 10 years, and uh, on and on and on, every record, every almost every month last year, we broke a record for the hottest month ever in recorded history for that month. And then now the evidence is overwhelming. But they knew it all the way back in 1982. They told their executives, this will have catastrophic consequences. And the executives were like, wait, 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 let me get this right. Does it have catastrophic consequences for my bonus in this year and the next couple of years while I'm at Exxon? Oh, it doesn't. Well, I'll continue to stuff those profits into my jowls. And what, hey, scientists, who pays the cost? Do I pay the cost? No, oh, I don't. The whole world does. <laughs> Perfect. Privatize the gains, socialize the costs. They knew, they knew, they knew all along. They knew better than we did. A peer-reviewed study conducted by ExxonMobil scientists in the 1990s concluded, quote, the body of evidence now points towards a discernible human influence on global climate. Another one from 2002 found that limiting atmospheric carbon dioxide levels could be needed to, quote, forestall coral reef bleaching, Thermohaline circulation shut down and sea level rise. Look, when your product has a side effect or a consequence, whether it's a drug or it's polluting into a river, we want to make sure that the kids that are taking those drugs or that are swimming in those rivers don't pay the price, you pay the price. These guys have put price on all of our heads throughout all of the world. And they knew it and they did it brazenly. And they did it for profit in the short term for themselves. I want the money back. They took all that money home, but they put all the costs on us. And the costs are now in the billions, perhaps trillions of dollars. So where's our money? You put the costs into it. I didn't do it. Hey, did you gain from ExxonMobil's profits? I didn't gain from it. Did you gain from it? None of us gained from it. Only they gained from it. And they knew they were lying to us the whole time. Give us the goddamn money back. At least let us begin to fix the mess you created and that you knew you were creating. They have their spokesperson come out and say, our statements have been consistent with our, our understanding of climate science. Notice it doesn't say our scientists' understanding of climate science. It says just as our understanding. Our executives understood that they were going to make a lot of money and that they were going to put all the costs on you and your families. <laughs> now, luckily, some people are finally beginning to take action. Last month, three communities in California sued 37 oil, gas, and coal companies, including ExxonMobil, Shell, and Chevron, for their alleged contributions to sea level rise and for concealing the hazards 
posed by global warming. Damn straight, just the beginning. It's the tip of the iceberg, if you will, because these guys have damned us all. Uh, They've heated up the planet for their momentary profit, and it, they ran amok, and, and they did it on purpose. At a bare, bare minimum, we should get all of their profits back, not so that you redistribute the wealth, so that you actually pay for the cost they created. They redistributed the wealth. They put it in their pockets, and they made you pay for it. It's time to get it back. These suits against these oil companies is just the beginning. And it's not a matter of retribution. It's a matter of justice. Why should we pay for your costs when you all got rich and knew you were destroying the planet? All right. Well, I don't know what uh, that, you see. Why I decided to play that? I don't know that I could have done mm-hmm. that any better. Uh, but there's there's at least two applause lines in there, and one is this: we want our damn money back. Um, <laughs> and the other one is is that um, uh, yeah, sue the pants off them. Because like, here's the thing, and that's that's what I think. The uh, sorry, just before, in case anyone tuned in, if you're listening, and that was a, a clip from the Young Turks. I just like to make sure that I say that on both ends. Uh, we did get permission, but I have to mention where it's from. So uh, that's a clip from the Young Turks. You can check them out on YouTube. I'll post the clip on the show post. You can check the full clip out. That was heavily edited. Uh, you can pull it, check the full clip out, and the rest of their stuff on YouTube. So, uh, but the two points there, yeah. Um, you know, they took a whole bunch of money. They put it in their pockets. We're going to pay trillions of dollars now. He was he was lowballing it there. Junk uh, is a very good presenter. He's not a climate expert, so uh, but everything there he was saying, and generally everything in the Young Turks clips, you cannot. He essentially goes because they're not experts with like the most conservative stuff he can find. It's absolutely trillions of dollars. There's no, there's no billions. Is now we're not talking about billions. It's tr- we're in the trillions. There nobody disagrees about that. Um, and that's all money we're all going to have to pay, right? And then we're like, well, don't go after Exxon because then we're going to lose some jobs. Okay, say we do. Like, first of all, that's nonsense. But even say that was true. Uh, There are a few less jobs at Exxon. Why don't we make a few jobs in solar energy instead? Uh, And meanwhile, uh, they're not going to be putting money in their pocket to, like, put up these thousands of costs. And this is the thing I always come back to, which is the balance sheet. Okay, Exxon lost uh, 25 jobs or 2,500 jobs. Uh, But what happened? What else happened? Did we gain 40,000 solar jobs? Is there, did we cut uh, uh, do, uh, donations to their company, otherwise known as subsidies? The richest corporations on the planet that were subsidizing in the billions of dollars a year in Canada alone, $20 billion or something to that effect, somewhere between 10 and $20 billion a year to the most uh, profitable countries on earth. And by the way, don't forget that we're also subsidizing them when we pay multiple trillions of dollars for all the damage they've done. While uh, Rex Tillerson sitting in the State Department trying to negotiate it to get a deal with Gazprom for several billion, uh, you know, uh, 20 or 30 or 40 billion dollars so that his former company he has absolutely no association with, I swear, uh, can make tons and tons of money while making the, while, you know, while essentially destabilizing the United States. Uh, Not all of them, but we have to call a spade a spade. Some of these people are crooks and liars and they deserve to be in jail. Uh, I will pass it over to the most furiously nodding of my co-host, Jeff, for for further comment. Oh, I am still digesting that. Um, I know it's it's a lot to take in. It it is a lot to take in. And I mean, it's not a surprise that somebody uh, like Tillerson would have knowledge of that and want to pursue a a campaign of self-interest like uh, those kind of politicians do, you know, which is why I – 
I, I question a lot of lobbying governments, especially the American government, on things like this because – and Rob is someone who does this uh, with the Canadian government uh, at, at different levels, I guess, municipally, provincially and federally as well. Um, lobbying people that have no interest, that have knowledge like this, that have no interest – Unless they're pushed or unless, as we talked earlier, it is a politically expedient thing or is a politically popular thing to latch on to. Um, is it, do you – maybe I would direct this to Rob. Do you see that as being – you must see that as being a real challenge politically when you're approaching – politicians when they have all of these other invested interests and it's not that cut and dry that you know what i mean it, it, yeah i so i'm going to start out by saying i'm not an exxon apologist <laughs> oh, no. um thanks that though like yes what they what they have been doing for all these years knowing that uh the use of their product uh results in these harms and not communicating that or worse, uh, sowing misinformation, lying about it, and so on. Uh, for, let's be really clear, for the purposes of lining their pockets. Exactly. I think that component is really important. They, exactly. were, they weren't just doing it for random reasons. They were doing it to line their pockets. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And and there's there's no way, you know, that is not just, that is not fair. And I fully agree with Gent. Jenk. Jenk. Jenk's argument. Um, here's my but or my however government also knew and this is this is what i actually find the most upsetting going back to what i was saying before about actually not being all that disappointed by by the donald trumps of the world because they're acting in line with my expectations of them what i find the most upsetting is uh, i when i think of government i think okay so you've got businesses corporations sure they're out to make profit i kind of get that hopefully within sort of the boundaries of the law uh, and not in this way you know in this example sort of with exxon here but a legitimate function of government is to regulate business mm-hmm. in the interest of of the public uh, to help us right and here we have an example of a business that was selling a product that is causing all sorts of harms and what has government done you know I find that to be the most upsetting. It's it's actually so finally we're getting some examples of some jurisdictions in the state that are suing. Great. Um, but here here's a bit of news that came out of Canada just a week or so ago. Uh, the municipality of Saanich um, wrote a letter. They voted, their council voted to write a letter to ask fossil fuel companies to ask them to pay for some of the impacts of climate change. I'm like, you know what? I can write a letter. Anyone can write a letter. <laughs> you are in the privileged 0.0001% of the population that gets to pass laws, that gets to do sorts of things on this. And you guys are writing a letter? Um, it's. I find that to be the most uh, disappointing. But, yeah. yeah. Uh, with that, that's the Green Majority. Thank you so much for listening. And uh, take care. Have a good Green Week. 